hospitality to me is what does that guest feel? What do they feel when they walk through your door? They call on the phone. What do they feel when they look at your website? What do they feel when you know they're getting the check from the server? What do they feel when they leave? And in that feeling, if that's not a positive experience, that's a failed hospitality act. Thanks for joining me again on the podcast. Those of you who know me know that I'm a huge believer in guest service and the true meaning of hospitality. I had high expectations in my restaurants, and you should too. With me today, Mr. Alfio Celia. He is the vice president of Crescent Restaurant Group, which is a division of Crescent Hotels and Resorts. And we're going to be talking all about hospitality, high expectations of guests and how to exceed those expectations, as well as onboarding, training, recognition and rewards, necessary technology, and how Crescent helps restaurants optimize their finances, their marketing, and really dial in operations in addition to creating concepts. So stay with me. There's so much to learn, so much, uh, so many key nuggets here. Thanks to the sponsors of this week's episode, Pop Menu. Verge Funding Group, The Birthday Club, and The Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Now, on with the episode. You're tuned in to The Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Listen, you've heard a lot of noise about the ERC tax credit. Why is it such a big deal? Because your business already paid a ton of money in payroll taxes, and more than likely, you qualify to get a ton of money back. Now, if you haven't applied yet, I'm telling you, drop everything. Drop what you're doing and figure out how to get it done. The truth is, and I'm speaking from experience here, it's super easy to get the money back if you let an expert do the work for you. Now, get on this before the government either changes the program or runs out of money. I got hundreds of thousands of dollars back from my restaurant, and it literally saved our business. Now, you may have heard it may take many months after applying to get your money back, but that doesn't have to be the case. If you need your ERC refund sooner to run your business or to take care of some much-needed projects, you can speak with Karen Garbett, the owner of Verge Funding Group, about a bridge loan or other working capital. Now, whether you wait for your check, opt for a bridge loan or other working capital, it's likely you have a significant amount of money due back to you, so don't lose it. Now go to the show notes for this episode on our website and use Karen's calendar link to set up a time to chat with her personally about how much money your business can get back. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons, for fun, celebration, for family, for lifestyle. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high risk, high fail business. It's hard to find great staff. Costs are rising and profits are disappearing. It's a treacherous road and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants that I've now sold for millions of dollars. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. I created a game-changing system, and it's filled with everything I've learned in over 20 years running super profitable, super fun restaurants. Everything from creating high-profit menu items and cost controls to staff training where your teams serve and sell, to marketing hooks, money-maximizing tips, and efficiencies across your operation. What does this mean to you? More money to invest in your restaurant, to hire a management team, time freedom, and peace of mind. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. 
join the Academy and I'll show you how it's done. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. So glad you're back with us. Welcome to the show today, Alfio. How are you? Great. Thank you, Roger. Really excited to be on this with you. I'm happy to have you here. I mean, you have an illustrious company with some really amazing properties um, in the US and Canada. A lot of properties under management, both in the hotel side, the restaurant side. There's a lot of key nuggets uh, that is just going to be great for our audience. So thanks for your time today. Absolutely looking forward to it. And we always look for opportunities to talk about what we do well. So excited about that. Yeah, you do a lot. Obviously, you do a lot well, and I can't wait to dive in. Um, let's talk about your hospitality backstory. How far back does it go for you? And, and you know, what does that mean um, in terms of your career history and, and how it all came together? Absolutely. So, you know, for me, it starts at a very young age. So I grew up in the restaurant business and uh, my father was an immigrant from Sicily. So I, I know the hard work of an immigrant coming over. Uh, you know, I grew up in restaurants. I remember you know, middle school, lower school, doing my uh, homework in a booth in a pizza shop, right? And kind of helping with the pizza. So it's kind of ingrained in me. It's in my blood, if you will. Uh, but early on in my career, I started as a chef, actually. So culinary, heavily, back of house. Uh, one day I, I woke up and decided I didn't like smelling like food every single day. And that was my trajectory towards front of house. So very uh, simple, but uh, um, eye-opening experience for me. Uh, but about 10, 12 years as a chef, and then really looked at gaining, and that was all in restaurants, right? And obviously, we're in a hotel company now. Um, hotel and restaurants, very different experiences for guests, as well as the employees and team members and leaders. Uh, worked into you know a development role with entertainment cruises and, and hornblower events, which amazing company. And and if you've never designed a kitchen on a boat, it is very uh, very different than the landlocked uh, items we do now. Um, Going into that, I worked with PM Hotel Group, a great uh, a manager group out of DC, a couple other manager groups in the Northeast, and then landed at Crescent about a year and a half ago. So really happy with my new home and uh, hopefully here for a while. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, setting up kitchens on boats and whatnot. You know, in my past, mostly as a younger person, I used to go on lots of cruises with my parents. There were huge cruisers on multiple lines, but you know, we had time that we would actually be invited into the kitchens to kind of take the tour. And it's really amazing. Well, any, any entity that can prepare thousands of meals, you know, across three different day parts, across multiple venues out of a confined space. I mean, the efficiency and the productivity and the storage needs and the re you know, the resupplying, it's like, wow, it's like, there's such logistics involved in that. So I'm glad you brought that up. It just kind of brought me back. So I thought I'd mention it. Um, can you, Alfio, give us sort of an overview of, of Crescent? It's across multiple companies. It is hotel focused uh, as well as restaurant focused, but you also work with high-end resorts and that type of thing. And obviously there's the hotel and the hotel and resort group. You've got Latitudes and you've got Crescent Restaurant Group. So give us sort of an overview of your entire company and then we'll dive into the restaurant piece. Absolutely. Uh, so Crescent Hotels and Resorts started by Michael George, our founder and president currently. Um, you know, we do have over 120 properties at this point. So we are growing, uh, but it's it's significant um, pointed growth, if I will. Uh, we do make sure that the next properties we do take on have a 
success story for us and make sure it aligns with our mission and our impact to the hospitality of the U.S. and Canada market. Mm -hmm. uh, we are spread across U.S. and Canada. As I mentioned, a lot on the coast, obviously, that's where a lot of travelers go, uh, but we do have multi-level. So over 40% of our current portfolio is Marriott uh, in all of their sub-brands. So that's a big partner for us. But within that, we have the sub-brands as well, like Tribute, which is a soft brand of Marriott, as well as the Independent. And you brought up Latitudes, which is our focus on luxury and lifestyle collection. Uh, through there, we have you know PGA National, uh, down in Florida is a, is a beautiful property. Um, the Blossom in Texas, uh, a lot of big resorts, um, Tapatio Springs in Texas as well. And then some of the bigger uh, F&B impacted properties are those independent resorts, if you will. Uh, with Crescent, there's a big, um, sorry, a big focus on restaurants and bars and outlets, if you will. So our Crescent Restaurant Group is made up of restaurateurs. So I started in the restaurant business. I uh, made my way through cruises and boats, as I made as I made comment before, and then ended up in the hotel focus. But we want to make sure that all of our restaurants and bars are run like restaurant and bars. And I think there is this, let's say, legacy thought process to some hoteliers that food and beverage is an amenity, which, for the definition of the word, is true. But we want to make sure that not only are we making profit in those businesses for our owners, the guest journey and the impact to that guest experience is above and beyond the hotel lobby bar, which someone's used to about 20 years ago. You know, that's an interesting point because there was a time when, you know, you'd stay in a hotel and regardless of the level of luxe or luxury or price point of that hotel, if it had a restaurant, you know, sometimes those restaurants struggled to attract the hotel guests because people naturally want to go outside into a new city or a place they've never been and explore the outer world. But yet the big draw or the big opportunity is how do you create an event or an experience that is literally capturing their attention so that they want to experience that venue? And then how do you maximize the profitability of that venue? So I'm sure you've you've covered that throughout your career. But is that still an issue? Because I know part of the company is also really into interior design and ambiance and creating these amazing spaces that complement the food and the beverage served. How would you how would you speak to that? Yeah, I think, you know, there's that part of it, but then there's the external guests, which we can talk about as well. Uh, you know, True. through COVID, we've, you know, through COVID now, what, four times, we've now seen the impact of internal guests, the room's not where it needs to be in the past three years. Now we are ramping up. Now we're hitting numbers more than 2019. So we're happy about that. Um, our commercial team's doing an amazing job on the revenue direction side. The internal guest, I think, let's back up. Every guest, the dollar now is more important to that guest than it ever has been. And, you know, I hate to say this a celebrity chef impact or just a great beverage menu or just a great dish of food is not enough to capture internal and it's not enough to bring external into the property. So ultimately, what we're looking at, as you mentioned, is that overall experience, the overall vibe, the overall, you know, where does my dollar get me? What's the story behind that dollar and why am I spending it? So with the internal guests, uh, you know, every hotel tries to have a burger on the menu because they think every hotel guest wants a burger. And while that might be true for 99% of the hotels, we do want to make sure that burger has a story. And I'm only using burger as an example as we go. Um, okay, sure. We really create uh, curated experiences for our restaurant venues per property and per locale. So we aren't copying and pasting any of our concepts we create. 
Uh, we have over 80 concepts that we have in the company in those 120 properties. And every single one is unique to that property, unique to that city or, or town it's in, and unique to the region of the US. Uh, so with that curated experience, we can capture more internal guests than our competitors, let's say, because we've taken the time to impact their view of not only our property, our company, and the F&B experience, but also the city they're in. Uh, so we really try to create that as we go for internal guests. You know, I'm hearing that there's a value proposition that must be met, and that has been harder than ever, and the expectations are higher than ever since the pandemic, clearly. But yet, restaurants, hotels, everyone has been struggling with this labor crisis thing. And obviously, we it's been harder and harder to deliver on that value proposition when we're short-staffed and the people that are there have to work harder and pick up the pieces for those that aren't there. And and providing a seamless guest experience has become more and more challenging. Has that affected your operations to, to any extent? It, it has. And you know, one thing I will say our team does well, especially on the Crescent Restaurant Group, but all of our departments and our, and our focuses, mm -hmm is we tweak fast. We make a 180 when we want to do. We fail fast, right? If we make a decision that doesn't work, we fix it immediately. We don't wait. We don't have an ego to raise our hand and say, hey, it didn't work. Let's try something new. And I've personally done that. So with that culture we've created and, and our leadership has created above me is really an opening entrepreneurial uh, innovative direction where we push not only our, our properties and we support our properties to make those decisions, we bring in uh, ideas from our team to every property as we talk weekly and bi-weekly calls. Uh, but the labor market, obviously, is still to this day an issue or an opportunity, right? All the way from the uh, interview process, showing up to interviews, all the way through the onboarding process. Um, we've seen a lot of people just start to look for jobs. And I don't believe the majority of hospitality workers are 100% back in their mindset to get back into the day-to-day -day flux of, of hospitality, right? It's a grueling job. We know that. I've been through the, you know, almost every position growing up in a restaurant, starting as a dishwasher. Um, we understand that it's hard. So what we're doing is not only trying to create a culture in Crescent that, you know, one of our main sayings is you belong. And we want to make sure every one of our team members belong in Crescent. They feel welcomed. Um, we were just nominated for top 50 diverse companies in the U.S. Um, so we're the third management co hotel company to join that, I believe. Uh, Marriott and Hilton are also on there as well. Uh, we do have a diversity inclusion and equity committee. We try to make sure that we are the, get the employer of choice for those team members. So that does help. It does move the needle towards uh, filling those roles. On the flip side of that, you know, using technology. And I know, you know, what, seven, eight years ago when Q QR codes were tried to be pushed and everybody says, oh, nobody was going to kind of gain that momentum on QR codes. It's the way of life at this point. So looking at tech, looking at creative ways of using tech that everybody else is using to supplement and not replace those positions. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that we have those positions ready for people to come back to. We aren't trying to completely negate, you know, a, a bus or a runner or a server or a cashier, but until they're ready to come back home, if you will, we have that red position ready for them and we're just going to supplement as we go. I've always believed in my own experience, 23 years starting restaurants from scratch and even in hotels I've visited, I believe restaurants and hotels are the business of a thousand details. There's more than a thousand details, but I just use that. Um, how do you 
ensure consistency during these challenging times where details, the smallest detail isn't missed and that the guest has a seamless experience where very, very little happens to them that uh, detracts from that experience. And obviously when it does happen, human error will always be present. It's dealt with properly and to the guest satisfaction and they're invited back and we make it right and all those kinds of things. You must have a whole team of people in charge of that. And then there's got to be the checks and balances and the secret shopping and the making sure and I don't know, people are up-leveled with recognition rewards for meeting certain standards and achievements. Can you speak to that whole piece right there? Yeah, that's a little piece of that. Uh, okay. So I, I think, you know, through this labor opportunity we're, we're going through now as a, as a community of hospitality people, right? There is that extra level of attention we need to have. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, making people feel at home, making people feel the, as a family, because with the uh, opportunity of bringing people into the company, it's keeping them in the company, right? Turnover is a huge impact to all operations, all companies, all you know verticals of, of business. Of so the more we can ensure that our team stays with us, uh, the less money we have to spend, the less time we have to spend to retrain the same position over and over and over. So as a business decision, for our owners and remember we are only management we don't own any of our properties um, to ensure our focus for our owners uh, is equally uh, spread across the company um we do have a business decision and a business priority to our owners to make sure that we can keep the teams in as well as training the trainer if you will so we empower our entire team at the properties and, and above property our entire company to learn to cross train to help train I wish we had a team of 100 people on the F&B above property team to you know go to every property every month. Um, it, it just doesn't work that way currently. So what we are doing is we're trying to empower, we're trying to have our entrepreneurial spirit go down to the properties, F&B directors, the restaurant GMs, the GMs of, of the properties to really take that and help lead and have us as their uh, partner through this entire scenario, if you will. Um, through that training though is making sure that not only are we telling uh not not that we're telling people what to do it's we're showing and we're leading by example nothing that we ask our our, our team members or i would ask a, a colleague i wouldn't do personally myself um and i want to make sure that we're in it with them uh, i i don't mind washing dishes if i need to right and we'll make sure we do it because we want to make sure that the team you know has their lunch breaks has their breaks has a, a good work-life experience um, and balance. Uh, too many times I've, I've had to ask a chef to take a day off because they're so passionate about it. They want to be successful. I want to make sure they're not burnt out. I want to make sure they see their family. And we do that as a company, it's just, not just myself. Uh, but it is an opportunity. It's, it's something we're always going to deal with, I believe, going forward. I don't believe at this point it will be 100% normal. I think we all agree the new normal is not normal. It, it never will be. And if we kind of rest on our laurels of getting to a consistent normal, quote unquote, uh, we're going to be back in the same position we were four years ago. I'm so glad you shared that. Two words came up, leadership and empowerment. And I learned those two words many, many, many years ago before I even started my restaurants. And I, I was a marketing director for a ski resort company. 
And that was a seven day a week position sometimes, especially during holiday weeks. And it was not uncommon where the senior VP of marketing was literally making beds with me in a hotel, you know, and it was all about leading by example and then showing people the proper way to do things and holding them accountable to certain standards. But it was all hands on deck. And then I kept that philosophy with my restaurants. And I do believe today that the pandemic has shifted the approach that restaurateurs owners, GMs in any property really need to shift from that management philosophy or mentality to leadership. And anybody can delegate, but very few people empower. And empowerment, I think you brought it clear, is you know giving people responsibility and nurturing and developing their talents and paying them well and giving them the, the treatment that they would expect so that you retain those people and then you recognize and reward their outstanding achievement. And that's how you build an organization. So I'm really glad that you shared that. That is super, super helpful. And I wanted every, everyone in our audience to really focus on that detail. You know, it's so important to lead by example and not just be a figurehead in an office that barks orders at people because that's not how you keep and retain great people and motivate them to perform. So that's awesome. Um, everyone has their own definition of hospitality. Uh, Elfio, can you give me what's what's your definition? How do you define hospitality? You know, I, I was thinking about that before this uh, podcast with you, and and I I don't believe I have a personal definition of hospitality, and here's why: I think hospitality means different things to every single person, okay, and it should in the meaning of the word. Uh, I, I do truly believe that. If we were to put a definition of hospitality, it needs to start with the guest. And ultimately, hospitality to me, and I believe more, more of my colleagues, not only in Crescent, but across other companies that I talk to on a regular basis, uh, is what does that guest feel? And that's really all it is, is what do they feel when they walk through your door? They call on the phone. What do they feel when they look at your website? What do they feel when you know they're getting the check from the server? And obviously, I'm going to be very biased in food and beverage on my examples. Um, what do they feel when they leave? And in that feeling, if that's not a positive experience, that's a failed hospitality act. And, and I think looking at it that way and through this guest journey, the impact of the experience, you know, aligning the menu, the concept, the brand, the lighting, the music, the training, and then tweaking that brand to make sure and that concept to make sure that hospitality is always ever evolving, I think is the overall, you know, definition for me. And, and it's a lot of different things. I, yeah. I don't, I can't put one thing on it, but that guest experience is, is a huge part of it. You know, that so expands upon, I have a very simple definition of hospitality that I've had for decades and, but you touched on it in so many ways in a much more expanded um, note. But I've always believed that hospitality is absent when something happens to the guest and hospitality is present when something happens for the guest. And we both pretty much said the same thing. You brought it more to life. So I think that's excellent. Thank you for sharing. Let's talk about expectations, both pre-pandemic and now in the current realm with the guests in your properties. Have the expectations shifted and and how so? I think we briefly touched on it, but can you give any specific examples of you know, what those expectations are and how we absolutely must meet, if not exceed those expectations? Absolutely. So, you know, when we look at guests, some of our guests to this day, you know, coming into April, into May of 2023 they might not have traveled in the past five years still. And I think we're going to see that through 2024, up, up to, to through 2024 is 
there are some uh, a guest, potential guests, potential travelers, if you will, uh, that still are not comfortable completely into the travel realm. So not only, as I mentioned earlier, that when we spoke about is that dollar per experience ratio that we need to make sure is, is above and beyond uh, their expectation there, but also we are reintroducing our guests to us, to the brands we represent, to the independent brands we have uh, as their first time guests for us. So a lot of people that have not traveled in that amount of time forget what the experience was. And a lot of the experiences through hospitality has changed for better or for worse through the pandemic. We talked about labor, uh, but we have another one-time chance to impress our potential customer. And that's what we need to look at through this next five, 10 years as this you know, ripple effect from the pandemic will still keep affecting our operations. How about affinity? And, and how does that word, I'm going to define affinity because not everyone uses that word. To me, affinity is a powerful sense of belonging or loyalty to a particular restaurant or hotel or whatnot. You know, I often use the analogy of that Cheers TV show, you know, the Cheers formula. You, you want to go where everyone knows your name. And there's a certain element of hospitality in that. But affinity is is loyalty, really. And you obviously have to maintain a high degree of loyalty so that you have recognition programs where your best guests are recognized. And even if they're a first-time visitor, the onboarding treats everyone as if they're an old friend or you know a repeat visitor. Let's talk about loyalty and how your, how your company delivers on that. Hey, rock stars. Let's talk restaurant marketing. I started and ran five high-volume restaurants, and I was obsessed with marketing. Not the traditional kind where you try this and you try that and you hope for the best. That's like dumping $100 bills out the window, but nobody's coming in the door. I'm talking about marketing that's trackable, where you know exactly where the business is coming from, and most important, that it delivers far more than every penny you spend. So here's where my friend Dyson comes in. He's a restaurant person, just like you, owned his own concepts. Now he runs Fan Connect. He's got something called the Birthday Club that's proven to drive new and repeat business in your door because everybody has a birthday. He does it all for you, too. All the heavy lifting. All you have to do is focus on your guests and delivering true hospitality. Why not speak with Dyson yourself? He loves talking shop with operators and there's no obligation, but I'm pretty sure he can boost your business and put more butts in your seats. If I still own restaurants, it's exactly what I'd do. Check it out at fanconnect.com slash birthday rockstar. There are many elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Are you connecting with diners enough and with the right message? Could your kitchen be putting out more orders than your dining areas have room for? Well, it can be overwhelming, especially when the reason you got into this business is for the food and the people. That's why restaurants get Pop Menu. Pop Menu is the marketing tech platform designed to make growing your restaurant easy. So you don't have to grow it alone. With Pop Menu, you can capture more guests and their preferences through your restaurant's website that's designed to easily collect contact information and data so you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you. Connect and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that personalizes marketing. Make all your systems work better together, improve margins, and conquer the chaos of your restaurant's digital presence. Now, Pop Menu has a special offer for my listeners. 
If you're going to the NRA show, mention this podcast at Pop Menu's booth number 5670 and get an exclusive invitation to their speakeasy. Or go to popmenu.com slash rockstars. Absolutely. And I think I want to make one point for affinity. We actually use that word almost daily. So it, it is a very unique word and not well used word. And it should be. Not only do we use that in our guest experience, in our diversity committee, I'm actually head of our LGBTQI uh, plus affinity group for our company. Excellent. So we actually use this in a, a team member family mentality as well. Yes. Because it does start with them. It does start with our team members. And if they feel like they belong, they feel like they're, if we have a loyal team, then we can push a, a loyal direction to our guests as well. You know, one of the opportunities we're looking at currently is we have multiple different brands and some of the big ones. We have Marriott, we have Hilton, we have IHG, Hyatt, et cetera. They each have their own loyalty following and their own guest following. So through the F&B team and the Crescent Restaurant Group, we're looking to how to connect that through reservation systems, through uh, guest newsletters, through things like that, because ultimately those brands are competitors technically. So yes, those yes, uh, yes, loyalty yes. programs don't connect uh, like they should. So we're looking at that currently and how to connect that. But generally there are multiple and multiple properties where we have an external guest, let's say neighborhood focus on our restaurants. And multiple times I'll go in there and the neighbors will know our bartender's name per cheers, uh, just a little backwards, but uh, they'll know the servers. They'll come in and say, hi, um, there's a beautiful property, 33 Seaport in, in financial South Financial District in New York. Uh, we took over, transitioned in January, and I was there a couple of weeks ago, and I saw a, a neighbor come in and say hi to one of the servers and give him a big hug and just say, wanted to know if he was okay during the transition and just check in. Uh, that's an amazing experience. It's amazing to see because without those neighbors and without that connection to our team, we won't be successful. Uh, so we take that very seriously. We look at that in our every transition we do, every property we have in our company, um, especially in the food and beverage uh, uh, experience of that property. Excellent. Let's talk about the restaurant operations specifically. You've got certain strengths and certain focuses, and some of that is in concept and design elements, and some of that is food and beverage management and profitability and marketing services. I mean, it's pretty multifaceted in a consulting role. So let's talk about, you know, how you deliver on, on some of those things specifically and what the process is. Let's just say I'm a restaurant group and I really want to take my operation to the next level. And I heard about Crescent and it's like, you know, tell us about the process of perhaps getting to know the client, onboarding them, uh, figuring out what the priorities are. Is there a, a specific, you know, roadmap or template of services? Or do you literally listen to the client and say, well, we, th we hear you, but we think you could really benefit from this as well. Tell us that process. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll go through kind of our, our restaurant group specifically and how we approach that. And, you know, we, our vision for the restaurant group is we want to create experience driven restaurant venues and event concepts. And I'll talk about event versus banquet and catering in a second. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. We create our concepts, we create our brands, even product offerings. We're working on a coffee product for one of our owners right now for the property. Uh, and, and, you know, the word vibe is in our vision in our Crescent Restaurant Group. So that is what we first and foremost, our, our North Star, if you will, as we connect with our new owners, our new partners, as we go forward. Um, I say events and not banquets of catering. Banquets of catering is a very important term in our, in our industry. 
but I want to make sure the event around that, uh, not only banks of catering, wine dinners, partnerships, and we kind of connect those dots for all of our partners as we go forward. Uh, when we look at you know new properties, new restaurants coming into the company, we break it down to four quadrants, if you will. Uh, one is the concept and brand, as you mentioned. One is financial and systems. Another is people, and the other is outreach. So outreach, marketing, PR. Mm-hmm. Uh, our team uh, touches all four of those, and that's very unique for a food and beverage team in a hotel management company, and sometimes even a food and beverage team in a restaurant management company. Uh, they might not focus on all four because it, it it is a lot, and it is a rabbit hole if you're not careful uh, of what you're prioritizing. But if we take concept and brand, we're going to work with that partner, with that owner, with that owning company, and make sure not only that the vision is aligned with us and them. And we usually will not, we try not to go in and say, hey, this is what you're going to do. That's not how we approach things. We want to learn. And you know, all of us, we aren't afraid to say, I need to learn a little bit more about this. I haven't used this cuisine before. I didn't use this color before. Those type of things. Because when we do that, we come up with a better product at the end. Uh, we will not hesitate to kind of fight it out on our team and make sure we do end up with the best product to present to potential ownership, to potential partners. But we will look at that full development and execution of a concept and brand. We'll look at product innovation. Uh, we'll do a full comp set and a SWOT analysis for every single thing we do. I know a lot of people listening in know what a SWOT analysis is. Yes, we still use it. Especially so do I. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you've been through it, you understand it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, no, it cuts through the clutter and it d- delivers a clear picture of what's happening and obviously what the opportunities and the threats are facing the business, what we can focus in on. Str- well, I don't need to define SWOT. I think a lot of people know what it is, but I'm on board with that completely. So please continue. I love that. Thank you, Roger. Um, and then that full experience programming. So we also don't try to just hand a menu or hand a concept or just hand a brand. We want to make sure that that is translated to not only a great operation and that it's operationally sound. Uh, we also want to make sure it works in the neighborhood, works with the, the locals and the external guests, as well as that ownership. Uh, you know, a lot of our ownerships are they they have something they're passionate about. And we want to make sure if it works, we're going to do it. We're going to try to hit those key priorities for them. Um, with financials, you know, after concept and branding, we do look at full system. So our team also looks at the full POS system, the reservation system, all the way down to budgeting forecast tools, support and guidance. Uh, we have wonderful purchasing program partners uh, with uh, those type of directions. And then, you know, we also have strategic sourcing in our company. So we look at, we look strategically at our partners on the sourcing and the procurement side of it to ensure that not only do we create a beautiful concept, we are looking at that cost analysis on saying, okay, are we getting the best cost for the best quality we can for this ownership? With our, you know, systems, labor management will always be a huge priority of us uh, and our company and our ownerships. But the people is, you know, even a bigger part of this. As I mentioned, the people make or break our, the guest experience. So our team focuses fully on the full training of every position in the restaurant. So we're creating, we have created and fully evolving uh, the training for every position, all the way from you know the leaders of the property down to you know dishwashers, runner busters. We want to make sure they understand what you know those expectations are as we go forward. Uh, we also have on our team uh, an impact team, which some companies call task force. 
but we want to make sure we make positive impact through all of our departments in Crescent. We have about 12 people currently that are on our team that that go out, support properties. You know, if there's a hole in a position, they'll help fill it. But also while they're there, make sure all of our key priorities and our vision is, is kind of elevated with the property and to see what opportunities they have for us to help on. And the last of those for outreach, and I say outreach versus just marketing and PR, uh, because I do believe there's a personal touch point, especially in those local neighborhoods on the external guest side and internal for the guests to really bring them into the fold of our F&B experience. And, you know, every internal guest, if we don't capture them, that's a loss, right? They're there for ours. They're there for the taking. And you mentioned that, Roger, early on that some people just go to a hotel and they they want to get out of the hotel and go have dinner elsewhere. So we're fighting that adventurous spirit of our guests to say, hey, you know, take a couple of properties in New York we have. Going to Times Square is wonderful, but we can create a, a bigger, better, and more inclusive F&B experience here at the hotel first. And if we can't capture that, how can we be creative of let's get the pre-theater drink or the post-dinner drink or, you know, let's capture them for a dessert after dinner. Uh, so we're trying to be creative on that side as well. Now, with your chef experience, I'm sure you'll sort of um, validate the thinking here. Let's think about the largest food service chains in this country and the systems they have in place and how they literally calculate the cost of the wrapper on a drink straw and know exactly what the profitability of every dish is on the menu and that the spread difference is very equal and they're not, they're not losing dollars when they sell this versus that. And it's really dialed in and so few independent restaurants in this country have it dialed to that level, either because of bandwidth or knowledge or experience or, you know, just trying to put out the daily fires and serve the guests and deliver a great experience. You must have a team that really zeroes in on every level of profitability with key indicators and and monitoring and tracking and performance. And it's more important now than ever with inflation and with the highest labor costs ever that those are certain things beyond our control. Even though there's economies of scale of large purchasing power, the costs are still rising and the margins are still shrinking. And the only controllables are how do you optimize every sale in every property every day? And then most, most importantly, how do you maximize the profit in every one of those sales? Can you speak to those processes and procedures when you go in and work with a client to really dial that in? Because it's such a key component of operating a, you know, a successful restaurant operation. Yes. And, and, you know, a lot of our, even at our size, we're, we're not a huge company and that's a, a, a dedicated reason. We don't want to be too huge. We're a good size right now to, to focus on our priorities. Okay. Even at our size, we've seen ingredients go up 60, 100, 200% in the past year and a half. Unbelievable. Some things are not slowing down. So one thing we are, are doing is we're, and I keep using the word empowering and, and you'll see this through this entire podcast. Thanks for doing so because it's not said enough and it's not focused on enough. And you're certainly helping up level, you know, our audience's business just by focusing on that. So thanks for sharing. Keep going. Absolutely. Yep. So we actually want to make sure that, you know, every chef, every manager, every, you know, supervisor understands that costing and what that cost impact is to the bottom line. If, we, if I personally, you know, cost the chef's menu and just hand it to them and they don't fully understand how that impacts their operation, it won't be successful. 
So our team above property, we don't specifically cost everything for them. We are watching trends, as I mentioned, for ingredients. Our purchasing team watches, you know, red flags from all of our mainline suppliers. We get daily or weekly newsletters out to the team and emails. We want to make sure that the the educational piece for our property teams is there first and foremost. So I urge any business owner, especially if you're independent, it will take a minute to reset. It will take a minute to make sure your team understands the impact to your bottom line, to your P&L, to your revenue. But if you take that little bit of time to say, okay, let's let's reset, let's gather as a team, let's have that team meeting, uh, let's have that little bit of training. I promise everybody on this on this podcast listening in will benefit from it. Um, all of our teams, you know, we will create the costing tools. We have the purchasing systems that bring in that have EDI uh, attachment to the uh, suppliers, meaning they have an electronic attachment that gets updated pricing to our purchasing system. We give the teams the tools. We train the teams to use the tools. I think the saying with the horse leading to water, I'm terrible at sayings, but I think that one's right. Uh-huh. Uh, we want to make sure not only do we lead them to water, we show them how to drink it. It's it's another step. It's another step than just handing something over to a team or, or a leader of the property. Uh, we want to ensure they know how to use it and to be successful with it. So that is how we attack that, that opportunity and approach that issue with our teams is we train them to, to understand. And more often than not, you know, with education and with a, a dedicated training module or direction, people want to learn. It's human nature to be, to have an intriguing focus on something new. So instead of just, you know, trying to shove it down to the properties, we bring them along for the journey as we learn together. You're working with large restaurant groups and somewhat illustrious brand names and all of that. You know, in my experience, there was sort of a misunderstood um, comparison or sort of an industry focus on food cost versus profitability. And everyone's like obsessed with, I need a low food cost. And and so few people realize that that really came from efficient ordering and efficient, you know, utilization of cross utilizing ingredients, of course, and moving the merchandise and low waste and theft and spoilage, and obviously selling your highest profit items. But I would rather sell a high food cost item all day long that contributes a greater profit than a low food cost item and having a balanced menu with variety and appeal to the customer is more important. Do you see that misunderstanding within your clients or is there still an emphasis on food cost versus efficiency and profitability? I believe now there's a more emphasis on every expense. It, it, before it was food cost, it was beverage cost because those were the biggest expense right. drivers yes. uh, other than labor in our sure. operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're seeing now is even the, you know, the the 1% spend on menu covers might be too much in some operations. We don't have that low risk uh, profit margin anymore. Every half percent means a lot of money for our ownership. So we want to make sure we were looking at every expense. That said, to your comment, I agree with you. There's still to this day is a misunderstanding on sometimes how food cost works, how that's formulated, even though it's a very uh, clear formula there. and it's the understanding that you fully control your costs. If it's food costs, if it's labor, if it's expenses, you can make clear decisions on high ingredient costs to remove that from the menu for two weeks. You can yes. make a better decision on the revenue driving factor of that high, in, high increased uh, ingredient. So 
you know, our team and our, our company is not a cost-saving company, a cost-cutting company, excuse me. Okay. Uh, we want to make sure we're driving the revenue as well. So it's a two-fold approach. It's a two-prong approach. There has been places I've worked in the past that, you know, the first gut reaction to anything is how can we cut costs? How can we cut costs here? How can we cut labor? How can we cut ingredient costs? I would rather, and I think we all would, would rather work with the team, work with the property, work with that ownership to say, how do we drive that revenue to cover the cost? How do we create a better business in revenue driving and revenue generation? And I know a commercial team, if they're, they're going to listen to this, will love me saying this. Uh, how do we drive that revenue to cover? And what comes with that higher revenue is more guests coming in the door, more guests capture internally, more than likely a better experience for the guests, which is bringing them in. So if we focus on the right things, as well as keeping our, our back-end expenses in line, if we focus on the right priority, it comes along with a, many, many more you know, supplemental ads, and not only the business and the ownership in our company, but also that guest experience and the journey throughout. Yeah, you've also clarified that whole point between the mentality of cost versus investment. You know, let's not be hyper focused on the cost. Let's think about, you know, this has a return on investment, what we're doing. And the bigger picture is driving revenue versus being hyper focused on cost and just letting revenue stand where it is. Yeah. That's, you know, a key point. And I'm glad, glad you brought that up. You know, it, it's interesting because I brought up that point earlier because I've focused on a certain specialty in my consulting practice in the past, either prior, you know, pre pandemic or after. And it's really amazing to me that a single independent location, I've done a couple of these that are around the $3 million annual sales mark, one single location, which is decent business for your single independent restaurant. And their menu hasn't been costed out in quite some time. Mm -hmm. And even if the chef or kitchen manager has costed out the menu, the owner or the operation has not done anything with the data. And I jump in there and I, and I sort of have my own template that I've worked out and I plug in the information and I show them that the profit spread in every menu category is many, many dollars across items versus 80 or 90 cents here or there. But when you're losing three or four or five bucks every time you sell this appetizer versus that, and you're losing seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, $15 every time this entree sells versus that, you're spinning your wheels, filling your seats, wondering why the bottom line isn't improving or growing. And these clients, the $3 million operations, when I hit the go button at the end, I find out that the profit lost or potential profit lost based on that menu over the past year is about $350,000. And what an eye-opener that is, where all you've got to do is cost out your menu and utilize this data and realize that tweaks and adjustments need to be made and portion control standards aren't in place. And there's so much, it's so easy to lose money in this business. I don't need to tell you this or any of our audience listening, but it's like, these are the important things that are the needle movers now to focus on when you cannot control those rising costs. It's like the only thing you can do is maximize sales, but more importantly, maximize the profit on sales. So we're totally on the same page with that. Um, how long is a typical client engagement, Alfio? Do you, is this ongoing over years? Like you work with a new client, you put all these systems in place, and then you continue to manage their properties or you monitor and track their performance and report back? Is it a combination of all those things? Like, do you, is every client engagement different in that regard? Each one is different. And we want to be as much as involved as we can be. And, you know, I, I love when a team, 
is successful enough where they don't need our involvement as much, but we still want to make sure we're there as a support net, right? We want to be that catch-all for them. And there are that we're getting those teams, and we have a lot of those teams where they're doing really well. And you know, it's it might be a bi-weekly phone call to me and, and my team and, and our SVP and myself and our other VP. Uh, we're growing. Uh, to say, hey, how are you doing in the past two weeks? And they said, pretty good. Here's where we're at. And I say, great. Talk to you in two weeks, right? I'm here for you. And you know, as we're growing, we 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 don't have a huge above property team because we put our focus on the properties and we want to make sure they're supported enough. But again, as I mentioned, they are that you know the GMs of our properties are technically their own CEO almost if you look at it. So we want to make sure that they have that support tool behind them and that team behind them to support push. But you know, through this mentality of this entrepreneurial spirit, this empowerment that we're pushing and, and living by, if you will, yes. there is still a, a transition of mindset sometimes when a property that transitions into Crescent portfolio might not be used to that from the prior management group or from the prior ownership. If there's an ownership that. train uh, change, excuse me. Yeah. And it's really, you know, building trust first and foremost by our teams because we come in and we say, hey, you know, we make a point to bring everybody into Crescent. There isn't a apply for your job that you just had yesterday and we're new. You're, you're a part of Crescent. You're here. Um, and we build that trust. We want to make sure that they trust that our team is there to support them, especially in food and beverage with our team. Uh, because, you know, food and all of hospitality, especially food and beverage, it, it's a hard job. So we're there to work with them. And part of that, you know, trust building and bringing them along for their own journey and working with us helps define what those expectations are. And ultimately, we've seen a majority of our properties after 30, 45, 60 days jump on board. And it's a lot easier to help support them from afar uh, if they're along with that journey. And 99% and they are. I think some the couple of times I've seen is just you know, sometimes the prior management has not treated them the best. And we try to break through that barrier. And once we do, it's smooth sailing for both uh, that support team for that property and, and the property team. Is there a specific client relationship liaison that leads the team that works with each individual client? You have one contact, but then that person leads a team that literally delivers the deliverable and goes in and executes the strategy and all that. Is that kind of how it works or? So I kind of explained a little bit the whole Crescent approach. Uh, you know, we do we have a business development team that's amazing and they make that first contact and they bring them in. I will say that through that process, all of our departments are involved. So we get in there right away to say, okay, personally, I do for food and beverage and, and our team, but we say, Hey, how can we help build this RFP, if you will, or this presentation to say, okay, we are the, the management company of choice as well as the employer of choice, as I mentioned, but we want to make sure that we're involved and we see the start to finish through the opportunity, through the business direction. Uh, but then as we go forward, all of our departments and our focuses of our company are fully involved with that property. So there's not one person per se per property, but I will say, you know, we have the vice president of operations. That's that key contact for that property. And then our team, you know, we work on almost every project together. I think that's how we 
come up with the best concepts, the best product offerings, the best support. And then for that team, the property team, they'll have one key contact to reach out to in our team just for the, the smoothing of any confusion of, of reach out. But ultimately, the property teams know our entire team. They've talked to each of us multiple times in that month. Um, and we work very well together. And our, and our above property teams work very well together as well, which is very unique. Uh, there's no fights between marketing F&B or, or revenue or sales, or which a lot of companies have. We have the same end goal. It's it's look at our ownership and make them profit and look at the guests and make them the best experience possible and look at our team and make them the best working experience possible. Those are the three main focuses of, of all of our departments. And because we work so well together, there will be calls where a, a colleague of mine in marketing or sales might call me and say, hey, I just saw us at the restaurant while I was sitting down for eating. Here's that. And I might call someone and say, hey, I was on a website and I just maybe we could change some things there. So we work really well together. There's no egos of, uh, in our company. Um, and that helps not have one key person to delegate or deliver okay. all the, the items. All right. Thanks for clarifying that. Let's talk about the consistency of experiences. Let's say you worked with a client for a while. Do you yourself or members of the team go in anonymously and actually patronize, dine in those restaurants and experience what's happening in the report back? How often does that happen and who's responsible for it? Yeah. So, you know, from every aspect. So even before some of our uh, partnerships start, we might want to go see what the experience is. It helps us understand a potential partnership. Mm -hmm. um, not to scare anybody away from Crescent. We we do want to understand. And, you know, we take that internal. It doesn't go anywhere. We want to see the opportunities as a guest. If we first understand as a guest what the experience is, we will make the best business decisions we can for that potential partner, that potential owner of that property. Uh, and we, again, might use a fake name. Alfio is a very unique name, so I can't use it everywhere. Uh, there's only a couple in the US from what I understand. So. Uh, we might try to get in there. Just we just want to experience it, and and more often than not, our potential partners are doing things right. There isn't many, you know, experiences that I have or our team has that is is a potential failure. Uh, a lot of our ownerships that we partner with, most of them are are doing a great basis, and and if there's great bones, if you will, if we get a a great team, if we get a great concept, if we get a great operation we can only make it better. We elevate from there. So from that experience of, of those, if you say mystery shop or mystery dining and mystery stays, it helps. Uh, it only helps us build a better program and a better process for that potential partner. Thank you for sharing. Let's talk a little bit about optimizing sales and suggestive selling techniques and that soft sell approach versus you know, a hard sell approach. So in my training, I've specialized in, you know, suggestive selling and training every member of the front of house team to obviously through product and restaurant knowledge to deliver great experiences by making suggestions. We know the guests will enjoy and appreciate. There's a fine line and it's a, a skill to be developed, but is there any kind of training in your organization to focus in on recognizing those opportunities from the start and finish of an experience and making suggestions that the guests do in fact appreciate that increases a check average? Mm -hmm. There is, and you know, I think we all know the, the sparkling water upsell competitions, right? We've all been through that in our career, but we've taken that, and while that is still a very good competition, a great uh, supplemental incremental revenue generation product. But we want to make sure that 
as I mentioned with the food cost educational piece, we want to make sure they understand why. A lot of hospitality was in the past, especially pre-pandemic, was here's the direction, here's the expectation, just do it because that's your job. You know, Crescent was never like that. A lot of our competitors were like that. But even today, I do see a lot of those teams that were like that in the past changing their tune because they figured out that one, that server might not be there six months from now. It's Mm -hmm. the way of the world right now. Of course. The biggest buy-in we can get with any position is understanding. If they understand, they're going to buy in. That second piece of that, they can understand, they can buy in, and do they agree to it, right? Do they agree with it? So we want to make sure all three of those are hit. And not only from you know the water upselling, the wine upselling, some of the, the normal defaulted supplemental increase uh, revenue drivers, we are trying to have creative direction. So not only do we ask the teams, we ask, you know, I urge our leaders on the property to ask the teams, ask the servers, ask the bartenders, what can they upsell? They'll know the guests better than I do. I can only be at every property every so often. Uh, so it's really leaning on the team to find out what are your guests asking for? Going to the front desk, what, what kind of food do your guests leave our property to go for? How can we capture that? Uh, but we do urge and, and, educate all of our teams and bring them along for that upselling journey. Uh, We create uh, training modules specifically for upselling, but upselling for casual, upper casual, fine dining, Mm -hmm. upper fine dining experiences, because every single one is different. Absolutely. Uh, But we do look at that. Thank you for answering that question. Let's talk about more of that loyalty piece, but, you know, peel back the end a little bit more about perhaps artificial intelligence, which is such a buzzword right now, and it's happening everywhere and recognizing prior guests experiences so that the staff know who the guest is, when their birthday and their anniversary is and what their favorite drink is and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there is software that does that now. Does your company get involved in that area? We are looking at that currently. And it's funny you mentioned kind of understanding the guests before they get there. That was and still is a very manual process until the AI generation journey has been normalized per se for specific hospitality operations. There's still a little bit of a human interaction that needs to happen. You know, at certain properties that we have, at certain FB operations, that host is expected to, you know, maybe research that reservation list before they get there. So again, very manual effort. Of course. Google is wonderful. Social media is wonderful. But lo- out looking to what the last three months has happened to AI and all these different websites coming in with AI direction. And while, you know, if you really look into it, possibly scary at one point, scary in the fact that it's awesome in the original dev generation of awesome, right? It's it's above our belief, it's above our understanding at one point to really dig into what that potential increase could be. Uh, but I do see a huge impact. Um, one of our reservation systems is actually beta testing AI in their chat uh, with the guests through that reservation process. So we're looking at that currently to roll out to a couple of properties to really beta test what that is. But the, I, I believe the potential is astronomical, uh, what this could be and what this could mean. And as I mentioned, tech, should not replace some of those positions, they should supplement that position. If that host has access to AI to generate all their information about that guest, the server has it, every guest touch point, that guest experience will only be elevated from there. 
That's another important point. You know, there's so much technology out there that's replacing the human element, which is unfortunate because that's a lost hospitality opportunity. I mean, right down to even the robotics that are replacing servers and busters and all that. And it's, you know, it's a novelty, whether it's got staying power remains to be seen. But the human element of building relationships, because this is a business of relationships and making friends for that property and and really enjoying the people you meet on a daily basis and treating them well and delivering true hospitality should never, ever be lost. And you're right, technology should only enhance the guest service experience, but never detract from it or replace it. So thank you for emphasizing that. I'm a huge believer in what you just said. Let's talk about marketing really quickly. Um, is there a particular marketing strategy that has been proven to work in terms of uh, an investment that has a proven ROI versus, oh, we're going to try this based on this market area. We're going to experiment with that because too much marketing in, in this industry is like experimentation. I know from my experience with independence, the phone rings all day long, people trying to sell you things you think you don't need, but sometimes you get caught and you're like, all right, I'll try that. And I just wasted a few thousand dollars on a marketing campaign that wasn't trackable. I mean, everything should be trackable where you know there's a definite return on investment. Tell us about your marketing strategy and working with clients and what's been proven to work. Yeah. And, and I think the age-old question is how do you track an ROI to any marketing? And I know that's always a battle, especially in restaurants and bars. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Crescent as a company, we actually have a team focused on food and beverage marketing in our digital team. There's people that specifically focus on that for us. And that is a huge step. So the first strategy is putting some team together that focuses on that. And not many companies do that. It, it, actually, that I know of any uh, of our competitors do that. But uh, we do that because there isn't a one size fits all. If there was, it would be a templated approach per property. And what we're seeing through every department that we have, especially food and beverage, we have to curate. And I know curate has been an overused word pre-pandemic, but I think it's even more important today than it ever has been. Uh, we wanna make sure that every process, every program, every system, including the outreach marketing PR, is actually curated for that operation. So our, our team works very well with the marketing digital team to do that um, and utilizing every aspect that we might not have thought about in the past. So we are pushing a lot of geo-targeted ads through all social media outlets. We're looking at restaurant and bar-specific websites above and beyond the hotel website, which wasn't a, a process practice in the past, right? So that restaurant or bar might have its own individual website, it's updated and utilized just as much as the hotel website. We're looking at tracking and gaining guest data and, and forms and, and into guest lists per restaurant, not just a hotel list. So we're trying to separate that experience because what we've noticed with that, you know, dollar spend to experience ratio, we they all of our guests want something unique. Um, we've noticed in different regions of the U.S., some social media is more prevalent than others. We've seen, you know, different reservation systems being uh, utilized, different uh, regions and others, different cities and others. So it does take a team to kind of realize those opportunities in marketing. Uh, but we do focus on every single one differently. Um, I would love to tell you there's a end all be all answer to that question, but there isn't right now. Uh, it's just um, getting in there, understanding the opportunity and picking the best tools to approach that opportunity in any operation. 
And it's still a focused and targeted approach, which delivers ultimate results for each individual client, regardless of their needs and expectations. Excellent. You know, I wouldn't think, I think curated is a timeless word, much like empowerment. I don't think it'll ever grow old because it speaks to bespoke. It speaks to custom. It speaks to unique experiences. And it really defines what you're trying to achieve for each individual guest in each individual property. So keep using that word curate and keep using empowerment and keep those philosophies going because it's definitely going to up-level this industry. Thank you so much for what you do. We've covered a lot of ground today, Alfio, and I really appreciate you being a guest. Do we miss anything? Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? The last thing I'll say is, is look at that experience. If you focus on the experience, you'll always be successful. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being a great guest. Thanks for your time and for sharing your knowledge, your experience, and your ideals of this business called hospitality. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Can't wait to see you all in the next episode. So Please stay tuned and stay well. Thanks, Alfio. What a great conversation. You know, I love talking shop um, with those who are passionate about hospitality, and you certainly are. You've got an interesting career story, and obviously you're working for a really tremendous organization that uplevels the hospitality in many, many organizations, hotels, resorts, and restaurants. So thanks for being with us. Thanks to the sponsors of this week's episode as well. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. Can't wait to see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.